we overthink what other people will think in an unfair way. Exactly what I was just saying. Like we're, we're prescribing this reaction that is the antithesis of what we know to be true when it comes to what we applaud in other people. And I think we're putting it there for no good reason. I don't think it's fair to ourselves. And I mean, comparison is, is the root of so many problems as, as we kind of started talking about in the beginning. Why are we doing these things or why are we conforming? I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Ace, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on here because you provide so much wisdom on subjects of mindfulness, mindset, relationships, and dating. And one of the things that I really like about your work is that you point out like dating misconceptions, specifically like from what people see online. What are some of the common dating traps you think that people fall into um, from something that they've read on Instagram? Yeah. Uh, I I circle Instagram as a big problem. I think it really gets in our heads and creates problems that aren't there or causes us to, to fall into certain mentalities that aren't particularly healthy. I mean, I think the biggest one is is rushing. I think we're all we're all rushing for a relationship status. Um, motivation can vary. It can vary from one of feeling self-conscious that you don't have a partner to dating out of being lonely to parental, societal expectations, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I wrote an entire book called Single is Your Superpower because I was tired of hearing, particularly from women, the, you know, the idea that being single means there's something wrong with you. Um, you know, being single means you're unlovable. Being single means, you know, for too long means you'll never find your partner or something like that. So I think that's the, that's the biggest one. You know, it's not one that people would say out loud. Like no one would say, yeah, you know, I'm rushing into a relationship because I want to get the pressure off my back or, you know, I want to define myself through a, a partnership. But I think subconsciously, a lot of the poor decisions we make in dating are derived from that, from rushing in some form. That's rushing to potential, right? Instead of living in reality, rushing to what could be um, or a version of the relationship that could be instead of being in reality. So I'd say that is probably the, the best answer I can give. I think a lot of the more like tactical issues come from that fact, from rushing, because it causes us to overlook red flags and then all the things that you can get in the details about. But I'd say yeah, rushing is a big, big problem. Yeah. And, and so many people, like you said, they get into relationships because they're, because they're lonely. And I want to go into that. So how can people like use singleness as a superpower and embrace being lonely and really use that time effectively to become um, a person, be, to become the person that they want to be so that they can have a healthy relationship. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say a couple of things. The, the one thing that I always repeat um, is just an anecdote that really inspired me. I, I Anytime I talk to a, an older person, person I'm talking 60 plus, I always try to ask them what they regret in their life just to get older generational experience and observation. And I've asked, you know, dozens, 100, 200 people that over the years and heard all kinds of different answers. What do you regret? Within the scope of relationships, I've never heard an older person say, I regret being single. All of their regrets that relate to dating and relationships come from the opposite. I regret rushing into a relationship, getting married too soon, having kids too soon, staying in a relationship, thinking a relationship to find me. 
um, not exploring my independence, the literal, the literal opposite. So I always present that as like my preliminary, uh, you know, jury argument uh, for to embrace being single. Take it or leave it. Obviously, it's very anecdotal, but I've never heard someone looking back say, man, I wish I was, you know, I, <laughs> I wish I was single, right? No one says that. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Being single is amazing. I mean, I think there's, there's very, very, you know, few times in life where you can be compassionately self-centered um, and explore what's, you know, best for you. I mean, the cliches are all true. Being single is a time to discover what you want for yourself, to love yourself so that uh, you can love a partner and welcome love into your life. Like, I think the, the, the practical cliches are all true. Being single is a time to figure out what you want in life, of course. Um, if you rush into a relationship before you figure out what you want, you're laying the foundation for something that's rather shaky. Um, so I say that, um, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I've, I've come to realize is that like, when it comes to the mentality of life, I don't think there's two chapters, right? A single mentality and a intercommitted relationship mentality. Certainly the realities are different. The responsibilities are different, but I have issue with a lot of terms like settle down and how, Oh, when you're ready to settle down, now your mentality is different. I think it gives like a miss, a bad misunderstanding of what a relationship offers um, in that, you know, I don't think a relationship is designed to help you settle down and to like get less out of life or to be more boring or anything like that. And I think a lot of what we see online and in movies and, and things like that is like, oh yeah, you get into a relationship, you lose your independence, you lose your curiosity and your zest for life. And it's, and it's just boring thing. And I really just try to encourage people to see a mentality of curiosity and more life and independence that is then relayed into a different context. I talk a lot about how partnership is designed in, in my thinking to enhance your sense of independence. And there's some science behind it I'm happy to talk about as well, but that is the purpose of a relationship. And being single, that is also the purpose. And they just relay nicely into each other, but it's kickstarted when you're, when you're single to enjoy that time, to discover what makes you tick, to be compassionately self-centered and focused and do what makes you happy so that when you get into a relationship, the purpose then of the relationship is to amplify what you've created for yourself. It's not to create something from zero. It's not two halves meeting together and coming whole. It's none of, none of that. It's creating your own happiness and then finding someone who takes it to the next level, who amplifies it for you. That way there's no rushing. There's no filling a void. There's no filling a gap. There's none of that. So that's just kind of how... I tend to see the role of a relationship like on a linear line. Right. Because so many people, they, they use being in a relationship to fill that void or to, fill the, to validate their self-worth and make themselves feel some sense of importance. And the reality is, like you said, it should only amplify like, how you truly feel about yourself and what you're doing in your own life. And, and so taking this like, a step further, how can somebody begin this self-discovery process? Like what, what types of, I know you're big into journaling, like what, what kind of like prompts or questions can somebody ask themselves so they can get to know themselves on a deeper level so they understand what type of person they want to attract? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think practically journaling is, is great. It's a very powerful, low stakes, no friction to doing it type activity to really challenge yourself. Um, you know, I think my, my understanding of mindfulness has evolved over the years. Mindfulness is a buzzword, right? Everyone uses it. What does it mean? many different definitions of it. You know, for me, I used to, you know, and I still do, mindfulness is self-awareness. Mindfulness is compassionate introspection, vulnerability, a willingness to, to ask yourself questions and answer them, to forgive yourself, all these nice and fluffy things. And that's a big part of mindfulness, of course. Mindfulness is being present and still, body, mind, in harmony, being in that headspace. But what I've realized is that mindfulness, 
self-awareness without action, what is the point of that, right? It's the, the necessary first step, of course, is being introspective, setting an intention, asking yourself a question, being open and honest and radically honest with yourself, step one. But the action that comes from it makes that introspection worthwhile. It leads to a change in behavior, a change in standards, boundaries, whatever it is. Action is everything. So when it comes to your question, one of the prompts that I, I love to talk about is borrowed from habit formation communities. It's a prompt that says, I'm the kind of person who, and then you complete it with as many action phrases as possible. I'm the kind of person who does X, Y, Z, who does X, Y, Z, who does X, Y, Z, whatever it may be. And the reason I love that prompt is because I think so often in life, when it comes to understanding yourself, we revert to rhetoric. I just want to be happy or I want to be successful or I want to be confident, right? Adjectives. We, we love to say these things and there's nothing wrong with setting a goal like that or describing yourself that way. But I think there's something intrinsically human that when we're not happy, for instance, and happiness is very hit or miss, there's a lot of elements of happiness that we can't control. We start to blame ourselves. Well, maybe I'm a loser. Maybe I'm a failure. Maybe because I haven't been happy for a year, I'm not meant to be happy. We do this thing. But an exercise, like I'm the kind of person who, well, what are the things that would make you happy? What are the verb statements that you can control that would make you happy? Let's focus on those for two reasons. The first being giving yourself a roadmap for things that you can do to make you happy based on the definition, the mindfulness that you established. And two, giving yourself credit for the things you are doing. I think we're, we're very self-critical, even that we're doing the work, we're putting in the work, we're disciplined about things, but just because we don't have the outcome yet, we're very quick to judge ourselves. Give yourself credit for the things you are doing. So that's just a simple journal prompt that I like. I'm the kind of person who, what is the adjective you would say for the kind of person you want to be, but what are the verb statements that would back it up? I think it provides a lot of introspection into what you should be doing and credit for the things that you do do that you should give yourself credit for. Yeah, because action, you know, following through on your actions builds confidence, right? Rebuilds your self-worth and you, again, learn to know what you truly like, you know, based on trying new things and putting yourself out there and, and engaging in, in different activities that, you know, you think um, you might be interested in at that time. And I think a lot of times people, um, they struggle with like knowing like when's the right time to put themselves back out there to start dating again. It's like, how do I know if I'm ready? Uh, is my heart still broken? Is my self-esteem still shattered? Am I still like trying to heal some trauma? Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on like timelines with that? And how can somebody know if they're like actually ready to begin dating again? It's a touchy subject because, you know, there's no right answer. There's anyone who says this is the right time and this isn't They're They're just, you know, projecting their own their own stuff. I mean, I would say if, if you went through something traumatic that you need to heal from, you've got to go to therapy. You've got to talk it out. You've got to do these things you know, that is not my area of expertise. But I do know that there's never a perfect time for anything. There, there never is ever, ever, ever quitting your job, starting a family very, very infrequently. Is there the perfect time to do something? So, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, I, I can't be loved until I love myself. Like life isn't that binary. It's not that simple. It could take forever to love yourself. And if you're holding yourself to that standard, you're gonna be waiting a long time. So I, I certainly think there is value in not rushing. Uh, for many reasons. One, not rushing into a relationship to fill a void or because you're lonely or to prove that you're lovable and then have it collapse because you haven't found firm grounding in yourself. But I also do see value in pushing yourself in that instance where you're like, yeah, I feel better, but I'm not there yet. Let's, let's see what would happen if you went out there and you're doubting yourself and you're struggling to love yourself, but then you come across this person who you're willing to be open with and you're willing to show them everything about you and they love it. They love everything about you. They see all of you. They love you for who you are, not despite who you are. 
and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, this person sees everything about me and they still love me. Maybe I should do the same for me. So you could see, you know, in their example, what is possible. Um, it requires, you know, a lot of, you know, vulnerability to put yourself in that position because the opposite could happen. They can reject you and then you're further into that hole again. But I think there's no perfect time. But when you're willing to push yourself out there, good things can happen. You can get that catalyst that, that could be the cherry on top of your healing if you're, if you're in that process. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is important to, to recognize that there, there isn't a perfect time for these things, but we should, we should be slow and intentional with it and realize why at the end of the day, you know, if you're like, oh, I should get out there and you're like, yeah, I need to get out there. Well, the question is why, why are you dating in the first place? If you don't have a why behind dating that goes beyond to have a partner, to not be lonely, to have a family, I really do think you're going to struggle truthfully. And we're, no one's a bad person for saying, you know, that they want to date because they want to start a family. I don't think that's a terrible answer, but I, I, I do think dating, you have, at least initially, you have to look at it through the lens of yourself. What does having a partner do for you? How does it enhance your life? And then obviously from there, it goes into a joint vision for life. But if you can't answer that question on a deep level, I think you're going to struggle once you get into a relationship with that person. So I would still come back to that. Why? Why are you dating in the first place? Why are you looking for a partner? Having a strong why for anything that you do is incredibly important. And I think one of the, the reasons that, that people are timid often in putting themselves back out there is because they have consistently attracted the wrong type of person. And they lack self-trust in themselves to um, choose differently the next time. Um, what advice do you have for somebody who continues to attract the wrong person um, despite having the right intentions with dating? Well, I think that's an important distinction, right? When you've, <laughs> when you've gone through frustrating dating experiences, the one that are soul sucking that made you want to give up forever that hurt you deeply that betrayed you deeply right we're going to the, that end of the spectrum i think we need to call a spade a spade it's you dated the wrong people you dated the wrong people i think a lot of the heartache that we prescribe to ourselves is self-prescribed it comes from the conclusion of dating the wrong people when you date the wrong people is it because you're an idiot because you have low self-esteem because you don't deserve anymore or because you just dated the wrong people. You dated someone who you believed in, you were willing to love, you were willing to go first, but hey, it turned out that they were not right for you. I think the majority of the issues we have in relationships aren't due to you being a bad person, you not bringing enough to the table, you not being a, enough of a catch, and more, it's just incompatibility. Certainly there are instances where that might not be true, but I'd say the majority of it, it's due to incompatibility. So what is, what is the conclusion that we're prescribing to ourselves? I think it's got, it's got to get to the practical. You dated the wrong people. It was due to incompatibility. That is that. For me, and I, it is different for men and women. It's easy for me to say these things. Um, it's just, we have you know, less of a biological and sociological clock running here. But that's always helped me because it, it gets me free from that headspace of blaming myself, guilting myself, thinking I'm a bad person and that no one will love me versus wrong person, it is what it is. I mean, it's the same way I've worked four jobs before I quit and did this full time. But, I, you know, every job that I moved on from, I didn't project it on myself and say, well, that must be because I'm an idiot and I wasn't talented enough. It's like, no, that was just the wrong job. We had a good run and I moved on. But I, I do think we need to also compound that with pride. Good, the good kind of pride. You were willing to date someone. You were willing to love someone. You were willing to try. That is something to be proud of. And just because it wasn't reciprocated doesn't mean 
you're a bad person. Just the incompatibility was the element that got between people. So it's, I mean, what I'm describing takes a lot of self-control and it's not easy. It's easy for me to say these things, but I think we got we to gotta break free of that, that inner judgment and just get to the practical conclusion so that we can move on. But don't you think like outside of inca- incompatibility, like part of it kind of um, goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, that if you maybe haven't done the work on yourself or you have a low level of self-esteem that you're going to like see through red flags for the sake of being in a relationship with somebody? hundred percent. I mean, you know, when we don't have a strong why and we're dating for an outcome, yeah, we're always rushing because we're dating in the land of potential. And when you're in potential, exactly what you said, you're ignoring red flags because you're like, oh, well you know, maybe it'll look like this and that'll help me get to that goal or whatever it may be. I mean, I think the, the biggest, one of the biggest problems we, I see so often is people being too patient in a relationship, thinking something will change because they're so locked into hope and to potential. Uh, you know, things will change once work settles down or, you know, they're still healing from their past relationship. Things will get better. Or, you know, I know they're very self-centered now, but eventually they'll, they'll give me more, more effort. Like, there, obviously, a relationship has to be built on potential of what it can be in the beginning. But I mean, the question that I always encourage people to ask is in the current state of reciprocity, that is emotional and physical and availability, if nothing were to change, is this enough for you? And, you know, obviously, it's not always a simple yes or a simple no. But I think it's a strong question to ask yourself in the land of reciprocity, what is given and what is received but if you don't have a strong why behind things, I think it's very easy to overlook everything we're discussing here and just focus on the potential of what could be. So what are some steps you think somebody could take if they're in this position where their gut is telling them something's off in the relationship and that it's not like an abusive relationship, but they're just not happy that with what their partner is giving to them, they're just not being fulfilled. They can just feel like they're losing themselves. Like is do you believe in like having a conversation with the person? Do you believe in therapy? Like, what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, I, I think it has to be a conversation. Um, and that's the thing that we're all averse to for many reasons. We don't want to seem crazy or needy. We don't want to blow up what we have and then go back to zero. I don't want to start over. I already invested time in this relationship. Every, every excuse you could think of, we try to slip into because it prevents the potentially painful outcome. I think a lot about mindfulness is incentivizing you to do difficult things with compassionate outcomes, no matter how difficult the thing is. And so when it comes to the subject of voicing concerns, asking direct questions, talking about the difficult things, we have to incentivize ourselves to do it. And the way that I have found to do it is think about the, think about the outcomes. So when it comes to voicing a concern or having a conversation, when you do and you finally do it, you finally do it with honesty and openness and you say, I, I feel, I want, so on and so forth, you're going to get one of two outcomes. You're either going to get what you want, which is an honest, open conversation. And they say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. Like, let's do this. Let's make it right. I'm in it. I'm in this. Let's work on it. Right. You get what you want. That's the answer you want. Or you get what you need, which is you're being too needy. I can't do this. You're asking for too much. Now you got the answer you need. And hopefully the answer that you need is that of, okay, you need to move on. But either way, you win. Either way, you win. One is certainly more difficult, what you need, and it could be painful. But either way, you're not sitting in limbo anymore. You're not sitting in the land of gray. And I think about outcomes and I think about regret. I think regret solely comes from the times you're waiting for other people to tell you what's best for you, hands down. So I think mindfulness is about incentivizing yourself to ask the awkward, difficult, uncomfortable questions to either get what you want or get what you need. That is brute force incentive. Like mindfulness isn't always soft and 
lovey-dovey. Sometimes it is get up, stand up, get what you want, get what you need so that you can find someone who, who offers that. So that's what I always say, like in instances where I don't want to have a conversation with someone, business, love, anything, family, I say, case, get what you want, get what you need, get what we want, get what we need, however you're approaching it. But I think that's a strong perspective to have. I think one of the challenges with situations like that is that people can't separate their heads from their hearts. I know this is something that you talk about. Um, so, you know, outside of having a difficult conversation and practicing mindfulness, like you just said, like, what are some ways that people can really like, you know, transition from that emotional state of mind into a logical state of mind so that they can, you know, make a, make the right decision? Yeah, that's the, the most difficult subject in the world, right? Because I bet if I went through my catalog, I guarantee you I've done an episode on about using your head and not your heart. And then the other day, I just released an episode about using your heart and not your head. So both are true, right? We need to use our heart to say, this speaks to me. This is real to me. This is what love is to me. But then we need to use our head to keep ourselves honest based on observation and behavior and just living in the world, not in la-la land. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's a balance of head and heart. However, I think recently I am leaning towards being more heart driven um, in, in the response to just how beat over the head we are with social media, parents, friends, media in general of what love should look like. And I think we do this human thing where we compare ourselves a lot, right? Comparison, uh, on average, allegedly, the stats, the, the data says that we 10% of our daily thoughts are comparison thoughts. We're comparing ourselves to other people nonstop. And when it comes to love and looking to other people's relationships or dating advice, whatever it is, we're always comparing what we have. And if you've found a person and you say, and you're looking at it through the lens of honesty and there's reciprocity and it feels good, you say, this love works for me, but then you're letting other people into your head with oh, well, that's what their love looks like. Maybe my love should look like that. Maybe I've been looking to the wrong example. That's where we create problems for ourselves because everyone's love looks different. What everyone needs looks different. And if we're, if we're always looking at different as better, we're going we're gonna to eat ourselves from the inside out. So I just like really encourage people lately is figure out what your why is, figure out what why looks like in the term of a feeling. How does your partner, how do you want your partner to make you feel what does that feel like? What are the actions that back it up and say, this is the love that I want and deserve. I've found it and I'm keeping it. And I'm not going to let someone else's TikTok make me doubt that and say, oh, well, their love looks different because their love is, you know, uh, surprise visits to, to France over the weekend and flowers every day for a partner or three home cooked meals a day. That That is love. I don't have that. There's something wrong with me. So I think we really do need to stay grounded, starting with why, and then not letting other people's visions of love define our own because i think we'll always go round and round in that we'll end up in grass is greener we'll end up in just really dissecting ourselves and i don't think that's fair so finding the balance of head and heart but certainly not letting our heads get wrapped up in comparison comparison is the thief of joy they say right and i think it's so true they do say that yes so how i know that there's no right way to be in love or love somebody but i always feel like people are like trying to figure out if they are really in love, they don't just like somebody. So what in your experience, like, you know, what's the difference between how do you know if you're like, like if you're, if you love somebody versus just liking somebody? I think it would be disingenuous for me to, to, to say an answer to that, because to my point, I think every, everything is different for everyone. You know, what one person needs, another person absolutely doesn't need. And, and to them, it's the silliest thing in the world. Um, you know, you could talk about things like love languages and feeling understood. I think being understood in a relationship is a big, big part of, of compatibility. But 
a lot of times it's not enough. Like um, even the topic of love is not enough. I just had Lewis Howes in the podcast and he was talking a lot about how love, love isn't enough. Like love as a, as a connective tissue between two people isn't enough because at the end of the day, what is, what is love? It, it is a feeling. Of course, it's a feeling, but it's a choice. It's behavior. It's actions. So if, you, if you're judging the health of your relationship through the lens of, do I feel in love? Am I in love with this person? I think it's a slippery slope because there's going to be times in a very healthy relationship where you're, just, you're not feeling in love. You, you know you love each other. You know you're supported by each other, but it's just the way it is. If you're judging the health of a relationship through the intense emotionality of a question like that, I think it's a slippery slope. What we have to look at, of course, is the behavior, the choices. What are the choices that someone does for you? What are the choices you do for them that indicate your support, your commitment, your love for each other? That, I think, is, is the, the biggest thing. But it's a combination of the two, right? Someone could be prioritizing you, doing all the things that should make you feel in love with them, but it's just not enough. And that's where that emotional element comes in. And that is 100% defined by you. That could be values. It could be personality. It could be that, that, that woo-woo element of compatibility. But I do think the, the, the question of do I feel in love can be misguiding. And we should look at the choices and the behaviors that are, that are made instead of that kind of question. I love what you said about like being understood. Cause I think that's in, in, in life. I think that's like the name of the game is people want to feel like people understand them. How can, how can people like get to a place when they're in a relationship or even in a friendship where they're being, or they're, they're feeling understood? Well, I think there's two layers to it. It's a topic I like to talk about. I think there's like understanding 1.0 and understanding 2.0. Understanding 1.0 is empathy at face value. And the emphasis is on the word that, T-H-A-T. I understand that you feel this way. I understand that my words hurt you. I understand that you have certain worldviews. I understand that you, ha- that you have a certain past, right? That is understanding 1.0. And I think everyone deserves that. That is, that is basis understanding. It is you voicing something you having a certain view, you having a certain characteristic, and it's your partner saying, hey, I understand that. I don't necessarily understand why. I don't even necessarily agree with it. I, it doesn't make sense to me, but I understand that. It's empathy uh, without requiring you to validate your feeling, your emotion. That's, you can call that maturity. You can call that respect. I call it understanding 1.0. It is simply someone in your life saying, hey, I understand that you're sensitive. Personally, I wouldn't be sensitive, but I understand that and I accept it. I'm not going to require you to validate that for me. That's understanding 1.0. Understanding 2.0, of course, comes from depth of conversation, understanding of past, the why, understanding the why, but it's not a required point to validate your feeling and your sense of emotion. And I think, you know, 2.0 comes certainly, and I don't necessarily know if there's a deep blueprint for that, but I do know that you can't have 2.0 without 1.0. So I think really when it comes to the topic of understanding, we need to gauge it through the first. Are you offered understanding 1.0? Empathy at face value. No requirement. Even if you're like two different people who have two different understandings of uh, two emotional topics, do they give you that understanding that? Yes. Now we can move to step two, which is, okay, now let's dig into it. Let's have the respectful conversations around it. Um, You know, I think that's an important lens to look through. I love how you just described that because it's just like, you're right. Like somebody has to be able to understand somebody from a basic level, but then also like utilize what they've learned about them, about the other person, like throughout the course of the friendship or um, the relationship. Talking about like the right person, we've talked, you've talked about like how really you should just be practical and just say, you know what, like you just dated the wrong person. Like just kind of 
in a way, just move on and, and try not to put so much blame on yourself. How can somebody begin to then attract like the right person into their life? The, 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 the topic of attracting um, law of attraction or manifesting or whatever it is, you know, I, I certainly believe in a spiritual element of that, which is, you know, putting yourself out there and, you know, people notice, but it, it's built solely on what you do and how you carry yourself. Like the thinking I always come back to is like, how do you prove to yourself what you deserve so that you're not out there being, being delusional so that you carry yourself with confidence and people notice confidence because they know you're not faking it. And maybe that in a sense is attracting, but how do you actually say, okay, I deserve this, that, and the other. I'm not being too needy. I'm not projecting. I'm not faking it. How, how do you get in that headspace where then you can attract people? Well, I, I think it's, I think it's twofold. It's for one, how do you know what you deserve in a partner? Well, the answer is reciprocity, tough love, but you only deserve what you're willing to give. I'm not talking about practical things like taking out the trash, or whatever. I'm talking about like honesty, listening, understanding, selflessness, uh, things like that. Nice lofty nouns. You only deserve those if you give them yourself. So flip the script. What do you give? What are you willing to give? What do you give consistently? If you do those things and you show up and you say you want them in a partner, well, then you deserve them because you give them. You deserve what you give. And certainly life isn't always that simple and it, and it can come in waves, but I think it's important to start there. I think then too, I think a big reason why we struggle to attract the right people is we don't believe in the standards we have. We say them, but we don't believe in them. We resort to phrases like, oh, I'm being too needy or I'm being too picky or whatever. How do we know if a standard is too much or a boundary is too much or whatever? Same, same thinking about 1.0 and 2.0. There was a time in your life where you had standards early on, but they were standards you borrowed from other people. They were standards you borrowed from online or social media. I deserve this, that, and the other. They were good, right? It's good to have them, but you didn't have a why behind them. You were saying them because they sounded good and yeah, who wouldn't want to have standards like that? 2.0 comes from when you've lived through the opposite of what you deserve. You can look back and say, well, man, I deserve an honest partner because I dated someone who lied to me, or I deserve someone who is willing to give me understanding that because I had a partner who required me to validate every emotion I had. Now we're locking in standards with proof. And when you have proof behind a standard, not that you can't have a standard without proof, but when you have proof, experience, past experience for a standard, that's what makes it real. That's what you could say, why would I ever negotiate this? Because I've been through the opposite of it. So I really do believe in that. And like when you combine that idea with the idea of reciprocity, what you give, and when you're locked in that headspace, I think you just carry yourself different because, you know, I'm not I'm not going back there. I'm not going to do that again. And I'm not going down there because I promised myself I wouldn't. I, I think you carry yourself with more poise and confidence. And you're certainly not dating from a, a place of lack. And I think people certainly notice that. I think one of the biggest struggles people have with with dating and what you just mentioned is they'll they'll start to carry themselves in a different way and put themselves in different arenas, go to different events, go to the gym, like do all these things that, you know, they're looking to do to better themselves and hopefully hopefully like meet the right person. And then they'll be rejected by somebody. And then that will like deter them and they'll be like, man, maybe this isn't for me, or maybe I'm not as wor worthy as I thought I was. Um, like how have you dealt with rejection? Um, in the past when it comes to your dating life, when you thought something was going to go one way and it didn't. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Paleo Valley. I have been a big fan of their products for a while now. And lately, I have been addicted to their chocolate bone broth protein. It's decadent, tasty, and a great addition to my smoothie. You hear a lot about the many health benefits of bone broth, and it's commonly referred to as a superfood. With that said, some people don't like the taste of bone broth, or are confused about which to buy. 
Paleo Valley has solved this problem for you. Their bone broth protein is made with 100% grass-fed and finished bones that are free from pesticides or antibiotics and are slow-simmered to extract as much collagen protein as possible. You can add it to smoothies like I do, or it makes a great addition to baked dishes, your coffee, or mix with hot water and a little pepper for a filling, collagen-loaded afternoon treat. So if you'd like to join me in drinking the bone broth protein from Paleo Valley, go to www.paleovalley.com, and when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you will get 15% off. Again, it's paleovalley.com, and when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, I mean, you know, rejection is redirection. Right. Uh, that's what everyone wants to think, right? They're like, that's ah, no problem. Rejection is redirection. I mean, I've never handled rejection great. Who does? I mean, it's kind of a weird thing if you're able to get rejected and literally think nothing of it. Uh, what does that really say? Um, that, you know, you're treating it like it's like a, a game and you're a pickup artist. Um, I don't know. I mean, rejection is, is really tough. It's one of those things that could be debilitating. It's one of those things that can double down on, on your past and, um, you know, whatever it may be. You know, I think about rejection in, in the context of conflict friction, stress, drama, right? How do you respond to any situation where you don't, don't get what you want or you get put in a situation where your energy isn't reciprocated or you get put in a situation where you, you swing for the fence and you strike out? How do you respond to that? Well, there's been a lot of science and psychology around it. There's something called the, the Cartman drama triangle, which is an inverted triangle that basically describes your, your conditioning to respond to things in that way. When you're rejected, for instance, you either become the victim, woe is me, I'm a loser, everything, uh, everything wrong in my life is because of me, or you become the persecutor, you blame other people, where you're just an idiot, you can't see my worth, so on and so forth, or you become the rescuer, which is you try to help other people as a way to deflect from your own needs. In the context of um, rejection, I'd say persecutor and uh, victim are, are appropriate to discuss you know, what is your robot mode inclination to those moments where your life is filled with drama, stress, conflict, rejection? Where is it coming from? A lot of the idea of the drama triangle is, is your upbringing, is your adolescence, a great topic to talk about with your therapist. But I think challenging ourselves in those moments to not revert to how you always revert in those moments of blaming yourself or blaming other people and just continuing along that path, I think that's the only way to break free. And I could sit here and say, well, you know, why would you want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you? Why would you want to chase someone? And I believe in that stuff. Um, but sometimes it's a little, a little too, you know, esoteric for people to believe in. I think the biggest thing we could do is just challenge what we want to do immediately, which is either shrivel up and cry and say, well, here's just more evidence that I'm a victim in life or continue to blame and say, no one understands me, this, that, and the other. Try to find a peaceful middle ground there, um, for one, and just challenge that. And then to what we we're talking about, add it up to lack of compatibility, wrong person. And the biggest thing is the second someone rejects you, yeah, it hurts, of course. Who would want to be rejected? But it ends there. Like if someone rejects me, my, my desire for them is gone. Because I know at that point that any continued conversation would be me trying to convince them. And when it, again, we're talking about reciprocity, that flies in the face of that. I'm not going to convince someone to want to consider me. And I think we need to have that stance as aggressively as we can. But the only way it works is if it's backed by proof, by why, by standards with past experience and by the idea of reciprocity. There's so much nuance in, in the idea of uh, rejection, right? Because obviously, if you get, reject if you get rejected, you're going to hopefully find something better in the future. But you can't just bypass what just happened and not understand 
what went on, why you may have felt triggered, and so on and so forth. Like I'm really glad that you you put it that way. And I know you've a lot of the work that you do is has been um, based on like your own struggles and your own you know you know being in a going through a breakup and uh, having a different mindset and stuff like that. Like who was Case Kenny before? Like you started the podcast, what was your mindset like? What was your self-confidence like? And then how did you essentially transform it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's still, again, today, I always am really big on trying to dissuade people from calling me an expert or a guru or whatever. A lot of people do it just because it, it makes for the right content in the headline. And, and we, like, we like titles in life and it just helps categorize people. But for me, I'm still a dude learning. But I would say com- now compared to then, no confidence not not a lot of confidence, very introverted, didn't really have a worldview. I think that was my biggest thing. Like I didn't have an opinion of myself or definitions of things. Like what is success? What is love? What is commitment? What is, what is this, that, and the other? I didn't have that. I had what I called living in the gray of life, which is floating, waiting, hoping that someone else will come along and tell me the answer to those things. Come along as, and present themselves as the solution f- to an ambiguous question that I never asked myself. And I think a lot of us are living in that space of just, you know, nothing wrong with us necessarily, but we're not challenging ourselves to form worldviews. And not just like, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm talking about what is love to you? Why? Wh- what is the, what's the point of love? What's the point of success? What would success get you? What is your definition of success versus go to college, get a job, make money, and then hope the answer comes through that, right? So I think for me, I'm still the same guy. Absolutely. I still struggle with the same things, but I am emphatic about putting myself through rigorous internal introspection and not being content until not necessarily finding the answer, but just coming up with an answer that I can then evolve and pivot based on my life experience. And that is the new me. And I love talking about it for one, because the more I have a conversation with you or on my podcast, I'm challenging myself either by affirming what I didn't once know, but I do now know, or opening myself up and saying, case there's so much you don't know, dude, we need to, we need to, we need to double down. We need to get more serious about introspection. So that always evolving, always moving forward. But I think mindfulness as the catalyst, mindfulness for the catalyst for being honest with myself to show myself that there is a lot that I don't know and why that's a great thing that that's my my intention. You talk about like coming up with your own views and ideas on on things in life and then also mindfulness and how that's really helped you evolve and grow as a person. Um what kind of things did you do from a mindfulness perspective to gain more introspection on who you were, what your views were, what your views were and your your values and stuff like that? I mean, one of the big questions that I ask myself a lot, that's a great journal prompt is like Come up, like, what is a negative self-title you've prescribed to yourself? You know, you're weak or you're an imposter or whatever, maybe. Something that you've been living with, right? Either self-prescribed or maybe conditioned in adolescence or whatever it is. Um, the, the question I love to ask myself is, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Let's just throw a hypothetical out there. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm not unlovable, for instance? What would that change? And then get serious about prescribing what the verbs would be that you would do if that wasn't true. What if I was wrong? What if I'm not an imposter? Well, then then I should be speaking passionately about what I believe in. Then I should engage with like-minded people. Then I should introduce myself to that person. What if I'm not unlovable? Well, then maybe I should go on another date or maybe I should stop lowering my standard or maybe I should stop putting up with mixed signals, whatever it may be. I think that's a really strong way to build identity is challenging your previous beliefs because we all have beliefs. 
whether they're subconscious or overt and a flag on the wall. But I think challenging yourself and saying, what if I'm wrong? What would that look like? And just seeing what that looks like, I think it'd be really, really eye-opening. And I think sometimes what happens is we we end up like overthinking when it comes to this stuff and overthinking when it comes to trying to better ourselves or making a decision that might lead us in the right direction. I know you talk a lot about this. Um, what what prompts and or what what steps have really helped you to not overthink things so much and just you know go? Yeah, uh, I mean a lot of different ways I could I could take that. I think I'll take it in this direction. I think a, a big reason that we talk ourselves out of being honest um, with ourselves and with other people is we have this very weird uh, hypocritical tendency that we do in life in that we'll identify a characteristic. Let's, let's talk about vulnerability, for instance. We'll say, I love people who are vulnerable. I think for the most part, people like other vulnerable people, right? We, it's an, a, a characteristic that we applaud in friends or people that we look up to or bosses. We love people who are real and honest and sensitive and open and weird and who are true to themselves and don't think anything less of it. We like, we like that in a person. We applaud it. But for some reason, when it comes to the same exact behavior in ourselves, we think that everyone else will, will, will hate it and will judge us for it. Like, I can't be vulnerable. I don't want to be sensitive. I can't do that. That'll be thrown in my face, so on and so forth. So there's something really strange about being human where we're hypocritical in that sense. I had a chapter in my last book, That's Bold of You, about something called the beautiful mess effect, which was this studied effect, which basically says that we admire a beautiful mess in other people, but in ourselves, we, we think it's the worst thing in the world. And the, the, the emotion that they use to describe beautiful mess is vulnerability. And they did all these thought experience, experiments where they had people go through these like engaging activities, singing a song in front of other people, apologizing for making a mistake, showing their bodies in a vulnerable way. And they're like, man, that person who just did that, that was so amazing, so vulnerable. I applaud it. But then when it was their turn to do the same for others, they were like, oh my gosh, they're going to hate it. They're going to think I'm a loser. They're going to think I'm a freak. We're just very flip sided with that. And I think breaking free of, of any assumption that we've made about ourselves, we need to get real with ourselves on why we treat other people one way, why we view the world one way. But then when it comes to us, we're the exception. We deserve the, the judgment. We deserve the guilt, the blame. Very hypocritical. But I think hypocrisy is an easy thing to break through just doing the opposite of it or believing the opposite of it and then proving it with action. So I actually forgot the question that you asked, but hopefully that is just somewhat related. Well, I was talking about like, I mean, I love your answer. But I was talking about like overthinking and why so many people we overthink when it comes to working on ourselves and putting ourselves out there and, and, and um, not just doing the thing, right? Okay. Well, related there, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, we, we overthink what other people will think in an unfair way. Exactly what I was just saying. Like we're, we're prescribing this reaction that is the antithesis of what we know to be true when it comes to what we applaud in other people. And I think we're, we're putting it there for, for no good reason. Um, and you know, I don't think it's fair to, fair to ourselves. And I mean, comparison is, is the root of so many problems as, as we kind of started talking about in the beginning of, you know, why are we doing these things or why are we conforming? Um, you know, there's a lot of science of our own conformity as well. Like, why are we afraid to step out and be real when conformity tastes so much better and is so much safer? And, and, and why do we conform in the first place? But I think if we can just find a catalyst, whether it's through mindfulness or journaling or therapy or whatever it is to just challenge that, what if I'm wrong? Um, I think it could just give us, give us the incentive, if only for a minute to take action to prove that we're wrong, and then you're you're slowly inching your way out of the gray and into somewhat more you know land of clarity in some sense. And I think a lot of times the reason that 
um, people like struggle with this so much because they don't they don't trust themselves. They have like zero like self confidence because they just you know haven't followed through with the things they know they should be doing. They haven't put themselves out there. They haven't developed these beliefs. Um, uh, what are some What are some ways that you've like rebuilt you know or built self confidence and trust in yourself that has led to um, an immense amount of growth for you? I mean, I think it's just reframing the lens through which I look at everything. Like, again, like talking about the goals for ourselves. Like, I don't say I want to be happy or successful in life. Like, that's too, that's too specific and, and too random for me. I just say I want to be proud of myself. That is my lens. Because for one, I know that being proud of myself, from my perspective, is about the things that I can do, the verbs that I can do, the things that I can try. Outcome, questionable, but the, the action that I can input, 100% under my control. Um, and that's, and then I'm convinced that good things come from that lens. Success will come from that because you do what you say you're going to do. You do the hard work, you make the sales calls, you do the thing. You'll end up with a partner because you won't stay in a relationship that doesn't make you proud of yourself. Eventually it will lead you to the, the, the thing, the adjective, the elusive thing that you want. So for me, that's been my total reframing. My goal, want to be proud of myself in little ways. I see the dishes and go do the dishes in the bigger ways. I have something on my heart that I need to talk to my girlfriend about. I'm going to do it. Things like that, um, I think, has, has changed me immensely. Because for one, it's gotten me out of my head. It's gotten me out of the land of ambiguity and into the land of clarity. But action, it's always followed by action. And that is something that I can control. No one can take it from me. And you just keep compounding that. And eventually, you know, leads you, at least I'm convinced, it leads you to where you need to be. But, you know, it's not random and it can't be taken from you. I love that. You know, you, you want to be able to be proud of yourself. Is there prompts that you do on like a regular basis to check in with yourself on that to, to see how you're doing? Um, not so much, but I, I think it goes back to the, the one we started in the beginning. I'm the kind of person who, same thing, that, that's the lens through which you're going to be proud of yourself. If you say, I'm the kind of person who does this, that, and the other. So I think it's helpful to do that exercise, do it, I don't know, monthly or quarterly based on how you're trying to feel. And then your lens of pride comes from, are you actually doing those things? Or what can you add? Maybe you're doing them, but you're just, you're, you're not there. Can you add something? Or perhaps can you do something different? Or perhaps can you simplify it? Maybe you're trying to do too much. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're trying to prove something through volume, whatever it is. Um, so I think that exercise is a great way to keep you honest and kind of audit that. So do you think that, that people's, um, generally speaking, people's level of happiness is determined by making sure that um, their their actions match their words and beliefs? I think so. I think so, yes. I mean, there's certainly other elements at play, but uh, I think in a vacuum that will always make you happy. Um, I think the other things are things that we're going to have to navigate around it. But I think if, you're, if your words match your beliefs and your actions match your words, I think you're going to end up pointed at least in a direction that will make you happy, yes. Because I think it's all about authenticity and integrity, right? And I feel like if we're, we feel we're so far removed from our true self, we're going to start to just feel poorly about ourselves and we're going to beat ourselves up and we're going to have regret. We're going to have shame because we know that we can do better. We're not proud of ourselves, like you just said, and that we can or we need to like get back in line with, with our true purpose and who we, who we really are. Um, one of the things that you talk about, which I really, really um, appreciate, is like the truth about manifestation. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I think manifesting is a big thing now and um, a lot, I think a lot of people have it wrong. So I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those words that's thrown around, right? You see every, every influencer wake up, like I woke up, I manifested and went about my day. And again, no hate to that. Everyone's 
the, the definition of mindfulness is can be taken in any context and prescribed any which way. Same with manifestation. But I have realized that at the end of the day, when you say you manifested something, what it really means is you just did it. You, you did things that got you the result that you wanted. But I, I, I try to think a little bit more prescriptively than that. Like for me, manifestation is putting as much out into the universe as you can. It's putting as much into the universe to give the universe something to react to. Manifestation is giving something, whether it's the universe or spiritual or people, something to react to. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's like we get a little too spiritual with it. There certainly is a spiritual element, but when you say, oh, the universe will reward me. Well, what is the universe? The universe is other people. The universe is the industry you work in. The universe is the people you hang out with, so on and so forth. The only way to get what you want, what you've sat down and are trying to manifest, is to give those people something to react to. The, to me, that, that's manifestation. It's, it's putting things out into the universe with action. That's the practical part. And I think a lot of people are missing that because a lot of people sit down and they say, here's my intention. I spent all weekend mapping out my vision board for next year. I know what I want. I know what I deserve. I've done the work. And I sit there and I applaud that because that's everything we're describing here, right? They're talking about reciprocity and being proud. And I'm the kind of person who, and it's like, fuck yeah, let's go. Excuse me. And, but intention doesn't deliver what you want. It's shouting the intention from a mountain and it's doing the things that show the intention has effort in it. And I think a lot of times we confuse that. It's the same things where we confuse facts and feelings. It's like we feel a certain way, but that's not who I am. I have an intention, but the result isn't what I deserve unless I have action. So I think that's the practical part of manifestation is literally getting up and doing things. I think the more spiritual element, which of course there is, is manifestation is bringing two stories closer together. That's one, the story you tell yourself in your head about who you are. I'm a lovable person or I'm an unlovable person. And the story that you tell about the world. There are honest people who want to meet me in the world or no one cares about me in the world. You have to bring those stories closer together. You can't tell yourself, I'm an unlovable person, but then be saying, man, I can't wait until I meet my soulmate. Those things are just illogical. They are not aligned. And it's like, you know, it's like, think of a yellow car. Don't think of a yellow car. You're, you're going to create your reality based on what you say. So we have to bring those stories closer together. You say, here is who I am, and here is the reality of the world that would allow that to happen for me. We have to bring those closer together. Otherwise, you have two very contradicting, uh, contradictory statements. And then I'm not surprised when you go out and you encounter things that uh, bring the negative one to life. So I think manifestation is twofold. It's bringing those stories closer together and then giving the universe people more to react to. Um, a lot of people who listen to the, the podcast, they're their life maybe at times or even right now isn't going so well. And I think when they want to manifest and take like the right actions to get something they want in life, whether it's a new relationship, whether it's more money, whether it's their health, whatever it is, they're just in a, such a, a low place where they have a hard time like imagining that that's even possible given their current circumstances. Um, do you have any thoughts on like how somebody can shift their mindset around that? I, I always try to you know, be empathetic in situations and talking to people like that, like who had just, you know, have been beaten up proverbially and had bad luck after bad luck and just, you know, haven't been able to find their, their stride. I mean, again, I'm a delusional optimist. I, I try to think, what is the, what is the value of, of experiences like that? And you can sit there and say like, oh, you know, it's to give yourself a higher standard and more boundaries and lessons learned. And I, I agree with that, but that doesn't necessarily feel good. It's like, how do you know what love is? Well, I think one of the clearest ways is to know what love is not. How do you know what respect is? It's to know what respect is not. 
how do you know what honesty is, is to experience the opposite of that. I think there's a lot of value in contrast. I think there's a lot of value in people who have hurt you. I think there's a lot of value in temporary people. And that's, you know, we're not thankful for them, certainly. We're not saying thank you for hurting me or thank me if anything like that. But we're seeing the value in it as far as giving us clarity on what we do deserve. So I think that's step one, finding a way, not a, not a patronizing way, not a forced way um, to say, you know, what, what is the, the new view that I can take from these experiences that admittedly I want to escape? I want to get out of here. Well, it's giving you clarity on what is likely the opposite of that thing. That's for one. And then, I mean, I, I think the rest is hope. Like, how do you affirm that given that what you want exists? That's where I do think, you know, comparison, there is a healthy side to comparison. Like, can you look to other people as examples of what is possible instead of what you lack? That's the shift in, in comparison. You're seeing other people for what they have, that what is possible for you instead of what you lack and why you don't deserve it. I think if you can combine those mentalities um, you know, it's not a butterflies and rainbows, certainly, but at least you're, you're, you're making the most of these negative experiences that you didn't deserve. It's giving you clarity on what you do deserve without clarity, how are you going to find what you deserve? And then you're affirming that it's available to you based on observation and comparison. And then everything that we've been talking about manifesting, you're willing to put in the effort. You're proud of yourself for that effort. You're judging yourself through the lens of what you do Well, you're, you're, you're setting the path for that. Beyond that, I don't think there's much more you can do. Um, and I think it's a balance between the, the kindness, the compassion to yourself, and then the action that you're willing to do to break free of that. And speaking of action and, and manifestation and, and relationships, um, going back to that, like I know you talk about like red flags, green flags, and it's become pretty popular now on, on social media as well. Um, what are your, I guess, what are your thoughts on like some overlooked green and red flags? I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, 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 the biggest green flag is like, it's easy for people to do like prescriptive green flags, like hold open the door or get flowers or things like that. Is that the real measure of the health of a relationship doing the things that are done in the movies that will elicit a all kind of response? I don't think so. Anyone could do that, right? It's acting uh, in a sense. The, the biggest green flag, again, kind of apologies for being a broken record, but I think everything is connected here is doing the difficult things, doing the things that you don't want to do. That is the measure of someone's enthusiasm for you. When it'd be so much easier for them to, to play their video game instead of listening to how your day went. That is the true measure of a relationship. And we can get real practical and talk about listening and carving out time and meeting your friends and doing these things. But I think it's all gauged within the context of what is the easier decision and what is the more difficult decision. That is always going to provide you a lens to judge someone's enthusiasm for you because a relationship is built on choices and behavior, not feelings. And I live with my girlfriend. Sometimes like, ah, I really don't want to... I just want to zone out. I just want Netflix or play Call of Duty. I don't want to do this right now. But I love her. So I say, no, I'm, my behavior is going to indicate my feeling for you. And I'm going to turn it off and I'm going to listen to you genuinely. And then I'll go play video games. <laughs> so I think, you know, <laughs> the, the it's it's choices. It's, it's behavior. Because I think a lot, you know, once the green flags are out there on the internet, people are just doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. But what is what is the thing that you you know, you are moved to do because of the compatibility you have and that you actually do, that is the real measure. And I think sometimes green flags get confused with like, it's a, a given, like it's a given. Like it's a, you hear somebody say, well, I want somebody who's nice. Well, that's a given. It's not a green flag, right? <laughs> yeah. Great, great point. Am I, am I right? I mean, so like, what's your, what's your thoughts? Like, what are some of the green flags that you see online that in reality, that's just like uh, yeah, a standard? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, I mean, yeah, kindness, 
uh, respect, respecting each other's time, communicating, uh, you know, uh, communicating, not ghosting, um, basic, basic things like that. That's such a great point. I did an episode a long time ago in that vein. It's like, those aren't standards. That's where the bar is. The bar is that low. You know, that is, that is not the checklist you should be lo- looking at. That is the, that is the checklist to get to the checklist. Like that is the, the bare minimum. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, I think it's sometimes helpful for people to get put together like a bare minimum checklist and see what they put on it and realize that, you know, the things that you put on that, you know, probably are bare, bare minimum. But, you know, our experiences have taught us that's, you know, finding someone who is kind, honest and communicates and one person is difficult to find. And so we've, we've ratcheted those up from, you know, bare, <laughs> from bare minimum to like the best you can have. That's such a good point. And I think what happens is a lot of times when people are in like really bad relationships, like they were treated so poorly that, you know, having somebody not lie to them or be nice to them or be respectful to them is just, that's like gold to them because they've just never had it or they haven't had it in quite some time. So like their the bar is, is so low and in reality, they have no under they don't understand that like, that's just a given in relationships. Like that shouldn't be the goal is just to have somebody respect you and be, and be honest with you. Uh, yeah, it should certainly be more than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from the idea of like what we've been offered in the past is not proof of what you deserve. You know, it could be less than what you deserve and we need to stop looking to our past experiences as proof of what we deserve. Again, what you deserve comes from what you're willing to give. So always come back to that question. I think it really help us get firm clarity on what is, what is bare minimum, what is not. So would you say the opposite is also true in that like um, like a red flag in a relationship is somebody who's not willing to do, do the difficult things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the biggest red flag because for, well, I mean, I think the biggest reason is it's a representation of enthusiasm. I mean, someone who is truly enthusiastic about something, they will find a way to do it. There will, it might be the most difficult thing for them in the world, but if they truly are committed to it, they will do it. It's like you're hungry you're, you're going to find a way to eat. You're just going to do it because you need to, you want to, you're compelled to, but, and it's the same way with, you know, what someone's willing to do or not willing to do. You gotta, I think we got to look at the health of the relationship through the choices that are made. And I think, you know, any inclination to, to do what's easier, it might not always be a red flag. I, I think there certainly are instances where it merits a conversation rather than snap judgment, some empathy perhaps, but ultimately it's, it's all about the choices that are made uh, in the face of what is easier or harder. And I think right now it makes it's it's more challenging for some people because there's this narrative online that you should be like selfish and you should have all your needs met in a relationship and it should be about you and you should, you know, have boundaries and do all these things. And then people take that too far and they forget that being in a relationship, it's not about just that person anymore. It's about having two people who are able to coexist and do that dance together. Yeah, it's, it's so tough because like I get why a lot of people are so focused on what they can get from a relationship because perhaps they've been in so many relationships where they got nothing from it and they're now they're just so focused on their standards and what they can get and, and the purpose of a relationship for them. So I understand that. Uh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, and anything that you say you deserve, you have to back it up with why. And when you can do that, I think it's healthy and you're never asking for too much and you're never self-centered and you, you always evolve with that person in that relationship and understand now it's us and not just me and not just I, but I think it's, it's a constant checking in with yourself of that to ensure that you're not blindly, you know, proceeding along a path that maybe isn't fair. Um, last thing I want to ask you is we spent some time, you know, talking about like attracting the right person and doing the work on our, ourselves and, 
you know, knowing when, you know, having, having to have conversations when you're not happy in a relationship with somebody. But I know you, you've done an episode on like, I think it was like titled like how to, how to lose a guy or something like that. Um, in the context of like dating, in, if there's, is there certain things that somebody like shouldn't do when they're putting themselves out there in the dating world that in turn could end up like pushing somebody away? Uh, yes. I'm trying to remember what I talked about in that episode. I've done so many episodes and I don't, I don't remember by, by the title. I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing that would push me away certainly is, is entitlement. I think that's probably what I talked about in that episode. Um, it's the opposite of what we're talking about here. It's I deserve this, but I don't have to give it. I deserve this because I say I deserve it, or I deserve this because that's what's expected of you. I think, you know, men in particular, men want to be men. Men want to be providers. Men want to chase, sure, maybe. Men want to do a traditional gender role of, you know, courting a woman. Yes. But men also want to be appreciated for what they do. And they also want their partner to reciprocate in a sense in their in their own version. But I think entitlement, and we're not talking about like delusional entitlement. A lot of people, myself probably included, do it un, unintentionally and subconsciously. But it's the opposite of everything we've just been talking about. It's saying, I deserve this, but I don't have to give it. Or I want your version of it first, and I don't have to do it. I think the, the right relationship is two people who are willing to love first, care first, who are willing to say, I deserve this because I'm willing to give it. And I'm willing to give it first. I'm willing to try first. I don't have to wait and sit back and wait for you to give it, for me to say, okay, you know, obviously you give and then you see what happens. But I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing that pushes people away is, is that entitlement, which in the context of our conversation is just lack of, lack of reciprocity, lack of willingness to try first, to be vulnerable first. And then in the context of like somebody who's like uh, trying to date like a woman, would you say the same thing is true? Like I know you said that like men like to chase, they like to be appreciated and valued. Like if you found, I know your audience is predominantly female. Have you heard people say like when guys do this or when somebody does that, it really pushes me away? Well, I think it's the two sides of the same coin, right? I think for guys, a lot of guys just expect certain things because they do the little green flags or they do the bare minimum, right? They're not actually showing up. They're doing the things that are expected of them. They're doing the things that they know are like trigger points for women. Um, and especially when the bar has been lowered so much, they, they expect certain things, namely sex, uh, namely uh, one-sided commitment. They, they expect a woman to be on beck and call for them because they took them on one date and they were nice to, to her. Like, I think it's entitlement, expectation, two sides of the same coin. Um, one's derived from, I think, uh, you, know, um, you know, just patterns of behavior that are expected in a process. That if they're met, the guy's like, all right, well, now, now this, um, I think it's probably, probably the same topic, just the, in the reverse. Absolutely. Right. And I think it's important for, for people to understand that, you know, I think at the end of the day, like reciprocity, like we've talked about a few times is so important when it comes to relationships. Like you can't expect to receive something that you're not willing to give. And you have to be able to not only understand yourself, but understand your partner and be able to um, like do that dance together. And, um, so case, I wanted to thank you so much for your time, man. This was awesome. I think the audience is going to get a lot of value out of it. So if people want to listen to your podcast, if they want to buy your journals, your books, um, they want to connect with you, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, I appreciate it. This is, this is a great conversation. I love, I love chopping it up. Uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, the podcast is called new mindset who Dits. It's on every platform. Uh, I'm case.kenny on Instagram. And if you want a journal or one of my books, you can just go to new mindset um, check out all the journals. They're also available on Amazon. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. We covered so much ground in the context of dating, 
relationships, mindfulness, personal development, um, personal growth, um, confidence. We covered so much. So what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Whatever the takeaway was, tag Case and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. We'll see you next time.